Welcome to Of Course China, the podcast about people making their mark in the Middle Kingdom. In today's episode, we talk to comedy magician Gino Deville about show business in China. Gino is a true showman from England who has been an entertainer for most of his life. After performing in China about 20 years ago, he decided to make it his home back in 2004. Since then, he's done various tours with thousands of shows that sold millions of tickets all over the country. If you enjoy this content, make sure to leave us a review and follow the channel. All right, Gino, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. It's an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Can't even speak. Allow me to have some coffee. Thank you. <laughs> Gino, where, where are we now? I mean, you just recently moved here. What can you tell us about this? Okay, well, actually, I can't tell you a lot because okay. my wife moved here while I was away on a show. Um, I was in Sanya in Hainan in the Pirate Island. My wife said, okay, I'm moving. So she's moved. But we're on an island in Human. We're about five minutes away from the... The, is it the Opium Museum? Op- the Opium, Opium, Museum. Museum. Um, Opium Museum. The Sea Battle Museum. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Sea yeah, Battle yeah, Museum. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're right on this island. We've got this kind of like Chinese-style village house, and we are on the roof. Yeah. I have to say, driving here was a little bit complicated. Do you get <laughs> Meituan? Um, I, I, mate, I've literally been home two weeks. I have no idea. I haven't even driven out of here yet. So, <laughs> okay. But, I mean, this is very unique, right? Because uh, the vast majority of foreigners in China live in nice residential gardens. Yes. With yes. guards. Yes. And this is a village. Yes. And this is not the first place that you lived in a place like no. this. Right. Yeah. Why, no. why, why uh, you like living this way? Because I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Scratch out. <laughs> um, okay, as you guys know, I, I like making things. I like building things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of my kind of hobbies in life. Um, I like, with, and my wife's the same, we have dogs, which we'll talk about later, I guess. Um, I like to renovate. So we find old-style Chinese houses that are super cheap, and then I throw a little bit of money at them um, and paint and decorate and build my offices and stuff like that. But it's more where we are that I like. I mean, behind me now, it's it's like really quiet here. Right behind us is the river. Um, going to get a boat, stick it on the mooring. And uh, yeah, it's just nice and relaxed. I'm not too keen. I'm from London, so inner city. Mm. Um, I As I'm getting older, I like living out a little bit more out now you know right a lot of foreigners wouldn't even i mean they would think it's maybe uh run down or whatever but the experience here is what brings you yeah i mean it's 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 everything um the price yeah a few things together i mean yeah the price is not really the issue i mean obviously we 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 because we're renting like most of us here it's nice and we rent privately a lot of people a lot of people in these gardens of course they're working for the companies so the companies are paying their rent whether or not they would be paying 10 15 thousand a month out their own money i don't know but no we, we we just like it um over the years 
because I mean we've all known each other for years and um, I think you've actually you guys both of you have been in China one year longer than me I think mm. oh he's more than <laughs> a couple he's more, couple more yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. well I came 2004, 2004 and over the years I started in Nanchang and then over the years we've moved out and further further out further out right. further out me too I would say yeah. I moved further out yeah. from Dongchang right yeah. in the the the, the expatville yeah oh whatever oh, yeah. you call it. I mean absolutely the the fact of living out here it's way more complicated i mean you know there's no western food delivery right, and right. everything else but you know being in a mixed marriage you kind of that's one of the cultural issues that you go through anyway and so. you, you drive so you can yeah. you can pretty much go yeah, anywhere. You need how, to go how big anywhere. is this place this house uh, you know? well it's a, it's a it's a three floor well you could call it a four floor uh four bathroom five bedroom uh three living room right so yeah i mean it's a typical uh, chinese family house yeah, right yeah. yeah 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 when you send me the pictures about this place where we're shooting uh. i said like we got to shoot there just let's hope for not too much sun because the river at the back that's one of the and okay i have to say one of the things you know you were one of the persons one of the people who actually suggested that we take of course china out on the road and yeah, right. yeah. we took your advice and here we are right <laughs> cool. yeah. we're outside this is like the roof balcony yes uh, yeah. yes 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 really yeah. really cool so, to like, be, uh, and you know behind us over there we've got the little barbecue area i mean literally i've only been back uh, 10 days two weeks right. from from sanya so i haven't had a lot of chance to really do stuff yet why don't we talk a little bit about um sanya yeah. what were you doing there and and uh, Okay, well, uh, I can honestly say that I was super lucky, um, like everybody else during this pandemic time, especially in the entertainment world, we were the first things to go. I mean, on January 25th or January 24th last year, um, I was on the stage in Shenzhen Happy Valley getting ready for the comedy festival, mm -hmm. of which I've done 18 times now over the years. And it was really funny because all the bosses know me there. They like me, they keep booking me. So I guess I must be doing something right. Um, so I'm standing on stage doing my sound check. And suddenly the bosses are waving at me saying, Gino, stop, 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 get off the stage. It's like, well, what have I done? And I was actually getting quite tearful. And they said, go, go, go back to the hotel, go. I was like, what? what? And what I was happened? really, really tearful about it. Had no idea. So I get back to the hotel and I'm kind of worried. And then the promoters who were at the hotel suddenly told us what was going on. Oh. So back in the car, drove home. And like everybody else, I spent the next three or four months in the house everybody went back or everybody because you're a foreigner no 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 everybody they shut happy valley oh, okay. down literally um so i get home then a few months later i get a phone call from a very famous american illusionist who's a friend of mine for many years called franz harari and he has a huge mega show going on in hainan uh, in sanya well the same time as i was being shut down in happy valley their show was being shut down. Now they had a whole pile of Western uh, American magicians over, a huge show, multi-million dollar show, and the money men behind it in Beijing were, were, were freaking out because they're just dropping money. They're, they're hemorrhaging money every day because the show's not open. Mm. So Fran says, are you available to come and get this show up and running again? And so myself, a Korean friend of mine who was in China, two Taiwan magicians and a guy from Macau were the people that were here and for much of a better word, were capable enough to do this big show. And so we reopened the show. This is, uh, if you don't know, Sanya, Hainan Island. This is, uh, I think it's, it's a holiday city. 
um, equivalent to in the US you getting a show in Las Vegas or something. Yeah, well, very so much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Hainan Island, I look at it as being like Chinese Bali. Um, Bali, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a holiday resort, mostly Chinese. There's an awful lot of Russians there. Right. Uh, all the major hotels have huge resorts with private beaches. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful island. the Russians island. get uh, pre pre preferential visa treatment yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they land on, on yeah. the island yeah, and then like they that. get... But, I mean, yeah. you were there because you are a magician, uh, I right? I am. Yes. I'm a comic and magician. I met, you, magician. I met you in 2005 because of IT. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. here we go. Yeah. Okay, very, very quick. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Back a lot in of line. stuff. Okay, so I started magic as a kid, um, but a family thing. I went into the Royal Marines in England for a few years. While I was there, I was injured. I was a bit of a computer geek as a kid. So I did my degree in computer science during my time in the Marines when I was injured. Um, afterwards, over the years, I've sort of put money into computery type things and I owned a computer company in England. When I came to China, which I came on my magic, um, a friend of mine said, oh, can you do a website? And then <laughs> other friends <laughs> started saying, can you do the website? So I set up a company here and uh, that's, yeah, that's how yeah, we, take, that's how we met. You had a company for a few years here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had it yeah. for a few years. At that time, I was basically doing all the IT stuff for pretty much every Western right. that were here Down. at the time. Yeah, because right. there was no one else. There was a market. Mm. Open, give you an you English know. English service. Yeah, very yeah, much yeah, so. Yeah. Right, but you. But the main thing uh, for you all all. All of your life, really, is the show business, I yes. would say, right? Yeah, well, and that's why I had to sell DevTech in the end, because it got too big, right. it got too busy, um, yeah. and I couldn't balance both both, both lives, you know. For right. somebody who's watching and has no idea who yeah. you are, I mean, how big were you in the UK, for oh. example, before you came here? Because <laughs> I know you were big, but they don't. No, 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 no. Um, oh, I can Benny say Hill, that. Benny Hill, Mr. Oh, Bean. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, no. No, I had a number of TV shows on Nickelodeon um, and the Children's Channel. Um, I found my market. I started off as a street performer in London Covent Garden. I worked all around the world on the street over the years. Um, but I found my niche audience, which is general family, mm -hmm. um, end of the peer shows. I've had kids TV shows on Nickelodeon, the Children's Channel, um, and a few other things. I toured with my own show for a few years in England. I would say if you look at Hollywood movie stars as being A-list celebrities, I would say maybe mm, bottom of the B, I suppose, <laughs> the B-list. But if it you was will. your career. Yeah, it was yeah. my career. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I won't get blasé on it, but in the, back in those days when I was young and had hair and a good body, you know, and cared about the way I look, <laughs> I had, you know, had the nice cars and the clothes and everything else. So, so yeah. what, when did you come to China and why? Ah, there you go. I don't think I ever asked you that. No, well, okay. So, there I am. It's through the 90s. I was resident magician aboard the QE2 for a few years, so I was cruising a lot. Uh, I was doing a lot of corporate work. Um, it's like any career. Um, one minute you're doing a pile of TV, next minute you're doing a pile of corporate, next minute you're doing a pile of theatre, next minute you're doing cruise ships. Um, everything rolls along and, you know, different doors open, different avenues. Um, and it was getting a little bit boring. Um, it was... Doesn't sound boring. <laughs> no, no, no. But after, without yeah, sounding blasé, I, yeah. I did nine world cruises. And the ninth time I hit Rio de Janeiro, it's like, where are we today? Rio, <laughs> Copacabana Beach, again. And I know it sounds totally balazé, <laughs> but it's like anything. When I moved out of East London, I moved to a town called Bournemouth, and it's a seaside town. 
My house was 100 metres from the beach. I never went there. I never went there. In all the years I lived there, I never used the beach. It's human nature. You know, you, you, what you've got, you don't do it. Take yeah. it for granted. Uh, yeah, you take it for granted. That's the word I was looking for. Um, so I decided I wanted to take a little bit of time off. I'd made some money. I had a, a, a good good tie-in with a computer company that I put money in. So I started to sell up and I moved to the States. And I bought my boat, which is a bit of a passion of mine. You know, I learned to sail when I was in the Marines and dive and skydive and all the things that you like to do too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I moved to Key West in Florida. It was in the 90s? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was 90. Uh, actually, my last official show in the West was on a beach stage in a place called Watamu in Africa, in Malindi, in, uh, in um, uh, 200, 200 miles from Nairobi in Kenya. And it was this frightfully exotic, exclusive resort hotel. And uh, there's only 200 guests. And it was the... Uh, uh, you're gonna make me say it, aren't you? This was the new year, and there's a word I can't say, and I was hosting this gig, and I can't say it. I have to say it so you know what's coming <laughs> yeah. in. Uh, I'll do it, I'll try. The millennium. Yes. Okay, millennium. Yeah, so if I try and say it, if I say millennium. Okay. <laughs> I can't say that word ever. Um, yeah, so I was hosting the show on a beach, and you've got people like Victoria Wood, and uh, the, one of the two Ronnies was there, Ronnie Corbett. He was there doing his stand-up show. So it was a huge, important gig. That was the last gig. And then a couple of months later, I moved to the States. You really took uh, far the uh, new millennium. Uh, yeah. <laughs> doing new things. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah, new century, so. I'm out of here. Yeah. So, so what was life like in, in the States? Um, well, again, for me, really ridiculously easy. That was the, the plan. I mean, I've been to Key West many times before because there was a big street performing pitch there. Uh, it's also great dive waters. Um, mm. Everything's there. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, yeah, you've been Bahamas. down that way. Oh, it's beautiful. So I bought my sailboat, you know, 40 foot sloop center cockpit rig and uh, kid it all out to sleep and live in it, it was beautiful um, and I stayed on it for what three years and literally every day was diving sailing just <laughs> just enjoying enjoying life and after three years I was bored out of my mind yeah. I know that sounds terribly blase again but I was bored out of my mind so I went straight back onto the cruise ships on the cruise ships uh, over this part of the world, I got a, offered a gig. Uh, I'd done a carnival in Australia before, and uh, it's a big touring fun fair carnival. And uh, I did a show with them years before, and they heard that I was in Asian waters, uh -huh. and they said, "Well, when you finish your cruise contract, do you want to come and do this carnival with us again?" Okay, so I did. So I was based in Perth. Mm. And we were doing WA Western Australia. Mm -hmm. Then I got a call from a promoter. Would I like to come to China for a show? Dun dun dun! And there you are. And I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so you came to China for a show, yep. and uh, what? You fell in love with the country? What? What happened? I, why? Oh, why? Wow! How you decided uh, to stay? This is the thing. I came. The show was in the Yulan Theatre in Dongwan. Oh, oh for real? Yeah, that was your yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was my first gig. Okay. Yeah, and it was a show for a month. I came here, and while I was here, what I realized was that you get a lot of bang for your buck. You get a lot of a lot for your money here. Yeah. So I thought, wow. And I that that time in Dongguan, there were motorbikes galore, and it was just like it was for me toy central. The uh -huh. 2004. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was just toy central. I mean, I could build anything I wanted for nothing. In terms <laughs> of you building stuff. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, two months after I. Decided 
that I was going to base here, I built my first motorbike here. Mm. You know, I met some guys in Nanchen Businji, okay. and they had a motorbike store there. And I said, right, I don't want a motorbike. I want the parts, please. <laughs> so they ordered me the parts. And I didn't have any tools. I built the bike out the back, you know. And uh, yeah. so, yeah. Um, and then I decided just to sort of stay. But at the time, I was still working on the cruise ships. So it doesn't matter where you're based. Mm -hmm. So I'd packed up the boat in the States and that was that was still there for then. Um, but then when I was here, I got approached by a school. Uh-huh. Went away. Right, yeah. the school. Yeah. And... Uh, oh, you're a foreigner. Can I teach English? <laughs> pretty much. You're pretty sure. <laughs> pretty much. So I went in and no, I mean, you're a teacher. Yeah. You're a, the real deal, by the way, if anybody is out there looking for English teaching uh, or Spanish teaching for their children, Fernando Munoz, <laughs> he's the real deal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I went into this classroom and... I took a load of magic stuff with me and I thought, okay, how can I make this magic stuff and English fit together? Well, it kind of worked. I pull a magic trick and kids just go bananas. You must have been the most, the favorite Popular. teacher at yes. that school, yeah. Well, they used me as a marketing tool, which I found was really funny. Mm. Um, they would, you know, have me go in and do their kindergarten visits and I would do a class uh -huh. and uh, yeah um, and actually then I actually started going in and doing some classes and yeah the kids absolutely loved it within the first six months I win I won this thing called the student teacher award so apparently I was crowned best foreign teacher in all of China at that time <laughs> and this was the first time you ever yeah you were a teacher right <laughs> yes. okay so this was uh, this was uh, you took it as a, a way for you to to set up base here? yourself <laughs> They gave me a working visa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. They yeah. gave me a work visa, um, and I was doing, you know, these these classes, and it was basically just doing my. I feel quite embarrassed talking about it now. It was a long time ago, <laughs> but yeah, I was I was doing these English classes um, with the magic. Um, How did you get back? onto magic because that was like a hiatus right like a, a short break oh yeah um it was kind of weird because i mean you guys know that time so i was doing the magic in the schools um i wasn't really at that time doing too many gigs because that was when another friend of ours jason from one for the road um one for the road was first opening up mm -hmm. as the the only large western uh, bar an in, english bar restaurant yeah, yeah. english yeah. bar restaurant in donchang and at the time it was the only one there um so he'd said to me can you help me with a website and there was just no one else apart from chinese companies right and of course back then uh it was in the very early day i call it the dongwang glory days you know <laughs> um us long-termers there, there were only a couple people longer than us um and there was nowhere for anyone to do that well within about six months I'd met you guys and you guys and basically this little company that I'd started DevTech had every Western foreign company's entity doing their IT for them um, I was hiring Chinese stuff which was kind of an eye-opener because um, see computer programmers are not the most I can say this because I am social one. Uh -huh. uh, social I was gonna say stable okay, <laughs> okay. Um, they're they're an odd breed because you know we live in uh, we live in a sort of like a you know a, a world of ones and zeros you know mm -hmm. um, and then the Chinese with the way that the Chinese mindset was it was a real open eye-opener um, how, how what do you remember from you know uh, hiring your first uh, staff 
Chinese staff. How did you communicate with them? You, did, you didn't speak Chinese back well, then. Well, uh, obviously, no. I mean, my wife's, you know, my wife's Chinese. So uh, the time my Chinese was really bad. Um, and so she would do the communication. But it was it was a big, big it was a big headache because, of course, you're trying to get through um, a, a process, yet for the other person to fully understand the process so they can code it. And that was the big thing, because if they didn't fully understand, they went away and programmed something totally different, mm. which happened um, actually on both of your sites. <laughs> and But the, the biggest one, which I can say about, is... Um, uh, a certain well-known pizzeria owned by a friend of ours. <laughs> yes, dear old Miguel and Calzone. So this is the sort of thing that I was dealing with. Um, very, very quickly, uh, we were doing their site and it was, uh, they basically had a, an online ordering system. Now, this was way before you could pay for it, but it was supposed to be ordered. Right. Well, so when you order a pizza online, you might have, a, say, a margarita or a Hawaiian, but you might want to add some extra mushrooms. So we needed a, a system where you could take something away or add something to the pizza topping. I mean, really basic stuff. Yeah. So six weeks, this guy goes and programs it and gives me the code and I ran the code and I went in to add some extra ham and a little box popped up and said, uh, excuse me, you need to take something away first. What? It's like, what? <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, he'd coded it that I couldn't add anything unless I took something away first. Mm. But he also coded it that... I couldn't take anything away unless I added something. So it was in this complete endless loop. <laughs> and it didn't work. And I spoke to him and I said, why? And I got this. I don't know. I see Monica, your wife, uh, smiling. I think she remembers that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. She was in the other side of the office at the time going, why? What, what, why? What, what was going on? What's yeah. going on? Um, oh, so you had many instances like yeah, that. Yeah, that was yes. that was one of the ones that really sticks mind because I Say just hello can't... hello to the camera. Hello Thank there. You. Thank hello. you so much. Thank you. Yes, your, your cafe is awesome, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how many staff do you, did you have? Uh, when I sold it, okay, all the staff I took on were freelance. Oh, okay. So I took them all for on freelance per per job. Okay. But uh, the, the busiest time, we had about 20, 20 projects on at one time. Wow. Um, and, you know, because that was just at the time you opened Glickson, Glick you know. Right, right, right. It, it's, it's, a, it's a headache. It is a headache because uh, it's juggling everything. But what I found was after three years... Um, and that's how long I ran DevTech for. I found that it taken over my life so much that I couldn't perform. Which I just is yeah. I remember thing. you saying that back yeah. then, yes. Yeah, so basically it was like, well, I've got to get out. Yeah. So <laughs> I sold the company. So you, you, you were already thinking, okay, I'm going to go back to Magic. Well, Gino's was, world. Let's talk about Gino's world. Right, okay. So, yes, I sold the company. I'd never not gone to the Magic. But what it was with DevTech, I was doing the shows, getting home from the shows, because I was doing a lot of local shows at the time. I was getting home from the shows sort of 10, 11 o'clock at night and then coding till 5 or 6 in the morning. Okay. And uh, it was just impossible. It was, you know, uh, trying to run that life, it was terrible. So I sold DevTech, went totally back only to the performing, which is my main thing. And then about six months after that, I wrote Gino's World number one. Mm -hmm. So I was on, under contract. I, I signed a contract with a promoter in Shenzhen, which is a big uh, 
theatrical promoter. It's kind of the sort of thing we do in the business. Um, and we wanted to do a theatre tour. At the time, I was also doing one of my first Chinese TV shows. Mm -hmm. So I'd built a name up through that. Um, back in that day, social media big time was Weibo. Mm -hmm. And we had, uh, at that time, I'd got over to something like a million and a half followers on Weibo at that oh, time. Wow. Yeah, so it was kind of big at the you time. Still have that account? No. Why? <laughs> because we, <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> I all got shut down. I wish I did. Um, especially with the way that social media's gone now. Because right, at that right. time, there was no social media. Yeah. Not in the way it is now. Right. So, yeah, so I was, I was ahead of the game and I didn't even realize it. And then I lost the race. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so I wrote Gino's World number one. Gino's World was a family-friendly theatre show. Um, basically, you could look at it as like a, a circus with no animals on a theatre stage. Mm -hmm. I had, uh, it's all bright colours, there was big illusions, acrobats, song, dance, you name it. Um, and, well, cutting a really long story short on that, we changed it every year, but we ran it for eight years. Wow. So, yeah, I ran it for eight years. I can honestly say one of my biggest accolades in my life, and I've got a few that I'm very proud of, but this one was we ran Gino's World for eight years and I sold over a million tickets. Ooh. And that was something that I did for myself. Yeah, this is, I remember that's mm. part of the reason why you had a workshop. Because a lot of the things you made yourself, a lot of the illusions you built uh, yourself, yes, yes. you also built um, illusions for other magicians. I mean, uh, I have done. Mm. To be honest with you, I I try not to because mm. um, the problem with illusions, um, there, it, it's not like building a table. They've ah. got a lot of working parts, and obviously on the road they take a lot of wear and tear. Um, so there's a lot of design factors in them. Now we've all got friends that work in the design process here um, for shoes, tables, whatever. Um, when they design a product, they spend all this time in R&D, and that product ends up being made a million times. Mm -hmm. Well, with illusions, you might make five mm. ever of it or something like this right. and so the design process becomes a lot uh, what's the word for it uh, 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 you need to simplify it an awful lot because if you spent six months trying to design something that was only ever built five times yeah. it, it's non-cost effective I assume yeah. not all magicians build stuff no 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 no. most no, of no, them no. don't I no guess. most stuff's bought off the shelf right but it's like anything when you need to be unique this is one of the reasons that I had a lot of, or have had have had a lot of success in China is because I realized when I when I decided to stay here um, I then met Monica, who uh -huh. was my girlfriend for a couple of years before she became my wife. I decided that we were going to stay in China. I needed to make myself, um, how do I say, unique. Mm -hmm. There were more Western performers coming into China, but actually there was a lot of Eastern Europeans. So how do I stand out from them? Yes, I'm. it's my career job and I'm pretty good at what I do, but how do I stand out from them? So I wrote all my shows in Chinese, 100% in Chinese. Uh -huh. And even to this day, I'm pretty much the only one, I'm the only Western comedy magician working in full Chinese in China. What was your stage name in Chinese? Tang Lao Ji. Tang Lao Ji. So you Wang Lao Ji. So you are much more than just a performer. That's oh. what you're saying. You're a performer, but you are more than that. You're the whole, you know, it's like uh, 
what did they say in the music industry? Uh, just a singer producer? or a, a singer songwriter, right? And 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 more producer. Yeah. Um. I mean, to be honest with you, nowadays, I mean, I've been doing this. I've been doing magic since I was eight years old. I've been in show business since I was 16. I mean, I spent my time in the Marines, but even that time, I was still working the streets and doing shows in when I was on leave. You know. Um, I look at myself as an entertainer uh -huh. um, rather than just a magician. Um, but over the years, like say a lot of Hollywood movie stars, they start their career behind the in front of the camera, then they start directing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and over the years, I've produced, directed, staged. I do everything in my own. You've mentored people. Oh, I do now. Yeah, that's one of my big things at the moment. Mm -hmm. One of my little mentees is out there in South Africa. Um, a guy called Vian, and uh, he is now pretty much South Africa's biggest TikTok star wow. with almost 12 million followers. Just doing magic on TikTok? Yes, yeah, wow. making TikTok videos. Um, so yeah, I helped him a few years ago when he was first getting into Let's it. talk so. about uh, show business in China. Magic in China, yeah. Yeah, that's well, how, well, how would you qualify okay. it? How <laughs> would you qualify it? How would you rank it? What? All right, okay, I got to be really, really careful now because a lot of my friends will say this. <laughs> all right, so, right, first of all, magic in China. Um, magic in China, the level is very, very high skill-wise. You've had a few friends of ours like Lu Chen, who, from Taiwan, who went onto the gala TV show. He brought magic into the 20th century. Um, when young Chinese magicians watch Lu Chen, they see very high-level skill. Uh, the Koreans are very popular over here as well, who also have very, very high level skill. So you have a massive, massive skill base. The problem, and this comes to the other side of the table, of entertainment in China mm -hmm. is just that. Uh, in the West, back in foreign countries, um, and in fact, most other countries that I've worked in, and I've worked pretty much all over the world, entertainers were treated as like the elite of the working class. We are the, the, the top of the workers. On the cruise ships, we live with passengers, we eat in passenger cabins. Unlike know. the kitchen staff or exactly. whatever it is. Yes. Okay. So we're the elite of the workers. In China, you're the bottom of the workers. Oh. Yeah. Entertainers are treated pretty badly. Um, the people who are treated well are the promoters. So it's the agents. The agents are the ones that sit with the bosses. After a successful show, the bosses and the agents will be patting each other on the back saying, oh, didn't we do well? Didn't we do well? But actually it was the performers that did the show. So the mm. talents are not treated like yep. talents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So because of that, we've all been to now. Let, let's look at it another way. We've all been to the, the one of the biggest entertainment outlets in China is the, the company dinner shows. So we've all been to them there. Um, they have the, 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 the dinners uh, now in our culture. Let's say you've got a company party. The boss, everyone will arrive at, say, six, sit down for drinks. The boss will go on at 6.30, do some speeches. Then dinner is served. Maybe there's a DJ or a bland band playing over dinner. Then after dinner, there is the raffle or whatever. Then the star cabaret comes on. Then the free bar until three in the morning and the disco or the band. So it's all blocked. In China, everyone arrives at, say, six. They sit down, 6.30, the boss speaks. Then dinner is served and the shows begin. And there might be 20 shows doing 10 minutes each. And people are eating. 
during dinner and gambaving. And there is nothing more soul-destroying than being on a stage, pouring your heart into your performance, and you've got drunken people going around, gambay, gambay, gambay. Now, it's just the Chinese way, but from a performer standpoint, the performers don't care. It's very hard to put your heart and soul into your performance when no one's watching it. Mm -hmm. So that kind of uh, gives them a stop to getting better yep. because they... Yep. Yeah. So it's literally just done for money. So what happens is the magicians go on Tabao or wherever and they, they buy a trick and then they do it the next day. They don't put the rehearsal time into it. Um, the agents do not care. So what will happen is the agent will phone up a magician and say, right, do you do that trick with the, the red box and the piece of blue rope? And they say, yeah. And then they'll go and buy it the next day and then they'll do it that night. So actually the quality of it is really, really bad. And so therefore now, this is all changing now. That's what I want to ask. This is really, really changing now because people like Lu Chen and a few other friends of mine have really done a lot for Chinese magic mm -hmm. on the side of they're showing people how to perform. Um, this is what I've been doing a lot with young Chinese over the last few years as well, is not teaching them so much the technical stuff, because some of them are even better than me now. My, my hands are yeah. going now and stuff. But I've got a lifetime of performing experience. So I'm but helping crowds. them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, what gets them excited, yeah. uh, what gets them to notice you, yep. Yep. stuff yep. like that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you'd, any theatrical performance, whether it's singing, drama or anything else, you take your audience on a journey and you don't just flatline the whole thing. You take them up on hills and up and down and up and down and up and down. You know, you start strong, you finish even stronger. You have middle bits to let people breathe. I mean, yes. it, it's a huge psychology behind it. And this is something that takes years to learn, um, but it, you have to understand it in the beginning. Is there a, a magician school, like a Hogwarts? No, just kidding. Uh, but is there a magician <laughs> school in China? Well, actually, no, you're funny enough you say that. There are a couple of schools out there called Hogwarts now. Um, yeah. Not so much. No, there aren't really magician schools. What we have in the magic world is magicians clubs. Mm -hmm. um, around the world, we have the the IBM, which is the International Brotherhood of Magicians, that's a worldwide thing. Now, in every country, there's what's called an IBM ring. Sounds uh -huh. very official, doesn't it? An IBM ring. Um, ring 92, ring 226. Um, and there are many rings. There's a ring in Shenzhen. Uh -huh. It's like There's chapters. An, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like chapters. Like Toastmasters. Yeah, and... yeah. Um, yes, exactly like that. Uh -huh. um, so they, somebody goes and sets a ring up. There's rings in Hong Kong. Then there's the SAM which is the Society of American Magicians, and that's also a worldwide club as well. It's not just in America. Um, now, in England, we have the Magic Circle, which is a very famous one. In LA, they have the Academy of Magical Arts at the Magic Castle. Um, the universities in China, universities in China, have uh, most of them have their own magic club. Uh -huh. And this is where a lot of the new breed of uh, young Chinese magicians are coming out of. And so they, they, they have lecture tours where they invite magicians from around the world to go there normally. So, yeah, I mean, magic's really big in China, mm -hmm. but um, there's not schools per se. Mm -hmm. The schools that they have in China are the acrobat schools. Oh, okay. And it's the 
traditional Chinese acrobats, the circus kids, and they basically all learn the same thing. And it's really interesting to watch. You promised to teach me how to juggle many years ago. I still can't juggle three. Really? Okay. Two. Well, we've be got three for beautiful Canon cameras. Shut <laughs> up. This, is, this is great that you mentioned this because my question, <laughs> yeah. uh, the question I want to ask is, how much talent do you really need to become a great magician? And how much is just... Okay, it's skill. You just practice and... Well, okay, it's a very difficult question to answer because it depends what you want to do with that. You see, magic is a hobby. It starts as a hobby like right. anything else, whether you want to be a skateboarder, play the a guitar juggler, or play the guitar or yeah. whatever. Yeah. There are many facets of magic. There are many different areas right. of magic. Right. So, and after studying a short while, you realize the bits that you like. Some people want to do close-up magic with cards. Some people like coins. I mean, I've got friends that have never picked up a deck of cards ever, but they've never got coins out of their hands. And you hear them walking down the street, chink, 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 chink. And they're an incredible dexterity with the slight hand right. with coins. It's so unbelievable. Fernando can I, I have a juggle. <laughs> <laughs> with the cameras. Three oh, the cameras, he's cameras. already <laughs> juggling. La, 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 he's la, la, already la, la. I'll do it if she says yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I have a question. I got this little kid uh, at my center. Every weekend she walks in with a little different trick, right? Yep. And, and some of them I can get and some of them I don't understand. Here's the thing. Let's say I want to be a magician. I, with this, this magician code thing where you don't disclose the tricks. How can I learn to be a magician? How do I... Do you know what I mean? How do I become a magician if I the think, code is secret? I think you learn the tricks, but how? How right. do you get there? Okay, first of all, okay, so I'm now 54. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm I'm no spring chicken now. So I have to I have to make this about myself. I started magic when I was eight. So I was a member of the junior magic circle in the UK and I had to sort of almost swear an allegiance to magic secrets. Mm. Now, there's a reason that magicians keep secrets because if I tell you how something's done, then uh, then it, it ruins the, the, the splendor, the wonder of it, you mm -hmm. know, because a lot of the time you just go, oh, really? Is that it? So it's best to keep the secret, you know, because you walk around and you go, oh, he took my nose, he took my nose. But, you know, oh, look, it's a thumb or whatever, you know. Um, nowadays, we're living in a time of social media. Uh -huh. uh, you can go to YouTube, you can Google anything now. Uh, within the magic world, there's a huge, huge... Uh, anti-social anti media vibe with a lot of magicians that want to put their secrets above patriotism and stuff like this. Um, actually speaking, I think it's rubbish. We move with the times. Mm -hmm. And now people can go to YouTube, they can go there and learn a lot of magic. If you want to have a stable base in magic, um, then you need to learn your fundaments. Mm -hmm. There are a series of books, cool. there are a series, sorry? There are 12 fundamentals, I remember. Uh, yeah. You okay. sent me a book yes, once. Yes, yeah. There are 12 principles there of magic, go. but the fundamentals of magic are much greater than okay. just those 12 principles. Um, the principles are vanish, appearance, transposition, that kind of thing. When you talk about the fundamentals, it's, it's understanding the different facets of magic, the base. And so it's all much lower level. Now, you don't get that from YouTube videos. Uh -huh. You go to YouTube videos, you watch how to do a singular trick. 
a singular effect and then that's it but that you don't understand more, it that is more complicated what you're saying right mm -hmm. so oh like, yeah uh, really fundamental yeah you need to get it through experience yeah. from others. I mean, if you looked at it from a from a sport point of view, anyone can run down the road. Anyone can get on a bike and cycle up a hill. However, if you want to take it to a serious level, like we used to race the bikes and you mm -hmm. even Mr. Triathlete over here, <laughs> you know, you need to understand the body. You need yeah. to understand fitness. You need to understand stretching. So it becomes a whole, the science behind I think when, it. when you watch magic, mm -hmm. um, there is this, um, I mean, for kids is one way, of course, like, wow. And they don't think, I think, too far. But for adults, we still get amazed, right? And I think for me, the feeling is, I'm sure like many people, like, how did he do that? How, I know, I know there is a trick, I know. But how did he do, how did he do that? And, and I want to stay with that. I don't want to know, really. Um, you know? So you know the stage that I go into? I go into, like, this is how I would do it. Maybe, yes. Well, so you're just funny thinking, but this is fun. Yeah. Now, you have just answered exactly what you're saying. There are actually a number of pigeonholes of people. See, human beings are made up of a different personality types. Yeah. Your personality type is, hmm, so if I was going to do that, I would do it that way. That's true. Right? Your way of looking at it was like, wow, that was amazing. I'm going to stick with this. There's the other way of like, oh, I know how to do that. Right, blah, blah, right. blah, and I'm going to be the big man. So that, that person will not have so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, There's yeah. different pigeonholes now. From a, this is where doing magic for a hobby and becoming a professional performer. This is where it changes because when you've got the Mr. Arrogant standing there saying, "Oh, I know how you did that," and telling the other audience how he thinks it's done, which most of the time is completely wrong, mm. it makes the performer has to work a lot harder because it's almost like a stand-up comedian with a heckler. Yeah. You know, yes, a good stand-up comic can put those heckles down. And use them. Even. But, yeah. yeah, you use them, but it means you've got to work harder because right. you deviate from your actual script of where you're All going. All right, since we're talking in, about magic in yes. general, mm -hmm. I would like to ask you, what, what do you think about stuff that, like, David Blaine does? Um, and... David Copperfield. And who do you like? Uh, also uh, right well the people that I like are people that you have never heard of because obviously they are my mentors but you can give a recommendation sure sure sure, sure, sure. absolutely absolutely them, right? um, now Copperfield obviously David I've met David at Copperfield a few times I can't class him as a friend um, because I've met him a few times in Vegas I've never worked on a show with him but I've met him a few times and he's absolutely awesome in every way um, he has done so much for magic for so many years and he continues to do that um, a lot of the big mega type stuff he does um, which is just like Franz Ferrari who I've just been working for there it's not my style of magic but of course it's the huge illusions which i think are awesome um david blaine is a totally different bag he started as a street performer uh i have positives and negatives to do with david blaine i've also met david blaine a few times on um on some conventions magic conventions he's a lovely guy as a person i started off as a street magician and a street magician in the true sense of the word is basically a busker but we stop people on the street, we build a crowd, we do show for them, and then we ask them for money in our hat at the end. And that's how we make our living, whether it's as a professional level or you just want to travel earning it that way, different aspects. David Blaine brought in a new style of street magic, which is called street magic. It's not. It's really guerrilla magic. It's, Shocking. It, no, 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 no. Um, it's 
not not the type of effects he's doing in the in the environment that they're working. Nowadays, you've got a huge amount of young kids right. going up to people in the street down Going there, to. stopping one person in the street, saying, let me show you a trick. Right. They're classing that now as street magic. That's a new terminology for it. It's not really. But so as an old street performing magician, I find that not great. However, as somebody who has a strong wife behind me that keeps me evolving through life, I think it's awesome because it's done an awful lot for modern magic. I mm. would challenge you because you said before you get to move on with times. Mm. It's also street magic. It's just not the classic type it's, that you know. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. It's exactly that. For a long time, I couldn't get my head around the fact that, hang on a minute, I'm a true street performer in every sense of the word, and now these people are calling it street magic, and it's not. But actually, it's just a modern vernacular. It's like they don't have patience to wait for the people to come to them. They just need to... <laughs> no, not so much that. You see, a lot of the street magic or magicians out there now aren't doing it to make a living. They're doing it for social media, they're doing it for clicks and likes and follows and everything else. So they're not actually making any money out of it But whatsoever. It, 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 clicks generate money. Uh, majority of the young magicians out there aren't trying to do it for that. Like I say, my friend Vien, Uh, from South Africa, yeah, he's making an absolute fortune. I mean, mm. he's just bought a brand new Audi TT with his nearly 12 million followers. But I think the followers. ones that don't, that's, that's their goal anyway. As well. uh, yes, uh, there's, there's a different... The, the one thing within all entertainment uh, factors, one thing that is huge is the ego factor. You know, as a performer, you want to be loved, you want to be liked, uh, you want to be adhered, if you will. And that's the ego factor that comes into it. So... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How how is the uh, go back to the uh, relate this to China? Uh -huh. So how is the uh, the performers circuit in China? You say before a lot of Eastern Europeans. Yep. Is that because they are uh, talented or they are cheaper or what? Which one is that? No, it's because somebody made a phone call and said, "Come, there's lots of work here for you." Yeah. Literally, that was it. Uh, <laughs> a number of years ago, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything detrimental about it, but a number of years ago, there were a certain amount of, say, Ukrainian Russian musicians here, a certain amount of Ukrainian models, uh, Russian models. Huh? Um, There was a lot of work for them here. Then somebody started to make phone calls saying, oh, there's lots of work here, come. Suddenly the world is, the China is now flooded with them. Too many came. Um, for those that were here a long, long time ago, their prices dropped because there were so many. Mm -hmm. um, now, what's happened is in the beginning, there were a few, like from a magic standpoint, there were a few that had come over here for work um who are pros and at the end of the day what is the definition of a professional magician somebody doing it for a living to make right. to make money right. i mean that's what it there's no there's no sugar coat on it i do magic and walk on a stage to pay for my house to mm. put food in my family's stomach to feed my dogs mm -hmm. you know what's the uh, what's the feeling between uh, the mutual feelings of chinese performers and foreign performers in China? Ooh, really tricky one, that one. For myself, it's a very different thing because like I say, I work very hard on building a name. So therefore, I'm doing something that Chinese performers can't do. I'm, I, for much better word, I'm living the dream that they want to live. When you go to a theme park and you see, say, a relatively low level 
foreign, and I'm not mentioning any culture or nationalities here, a relatively low-level foreign performer, a lot of the time, the Chinese that are there are better. But they're paid a third, 25% of what the money is. Sounds like the native and non-native teaching. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same thing. It's kind of a shame. Exactly the same thing. Now, see, exactly. Because 30 from Colombia speaks English better than I do. Now, luckily, you've got your own thing and you've got your masters and everything else. But if you were just a Colombian... They wouldn't go. You know, you would make much less. Yes, because it would be, hey, you're non-native. Hello, I speak English better than you. So, yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, very much so. So there is that. Yes. Yes. Um, you, you've mentioned, uh, I don't know if we're ready to transition, we can So wait, that. wait, mm-hmm. follow-up questions to that, okay, right? Cool. So, so there is resentment from uh, the Chinese? No, of course not, because Chinese people aren't like that. <laughs> no, I mean, any humans, right? I mean, there must be some resentment. Chinese people aren't like that. <laughs> I live in China. I like my visa. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, of people course. are gonna call you shill. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I put nothing on record. Yeah. Now that uh, you say that, no, of course. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Chinese. The whole Chinese culture, the the Chinese way, is never to bring that up. And but of course, yeah. I would imagine so, very much so. But I guess, I guess that if someone like you, you're probably very uh, grounded and friendly with everybody, then they see the person. <laughs> Yeah, hello, right. hello. Hey. It's the yes. security dog is here. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, in Chino's world, I have 11 cast members. Now, they're all Chinese, and most of them have been with me for a really long time. King, stop it now. Stop hey, it, King. King. Yeah, stop it. Yeah, yeah. go away, go away. <laughs> so, um, it's okay, we can hear. Uh, the, oh, there's dogs fighting over there. That's why okay. they can smell um, it. Yeah, Cooper. So, uh, <laughs> Shall sorry. Shall we take a break? <laughs> um. And we're back. Um, also want to mention at this point that if you're listening uh, on the uh, Apple podcast, Spotify, or, you know, uh, Anchor. Google podcast, whatever, if you're listening, uh, we would really appreciate if you can give us a review and subscribe to, to the channel. So Gino, hello, um, hello again. <laughs> I wanted to ask, how many shows have you done in China? Are you keeping count? In, <laughs> in China? Yes. Wow. You said that you had a million. You sold a million tickets. I sold a million tickets in over total. eight years with yeah. Gino's World. With Gino's now, World. Now that's just one piece of the puzzle. I mean, obviously there's the local shows and then I sort of zip all over China for dinner shows, gala shows. Uh, I used to do a lot of close-up dinners for Huawei, which was uh, kind of interesting. I was like the gift uh, during the lull of business talk. And it's lucrative too. Oh, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Um, (laughs) It has a huge downside. So I actually ended up I, I stopped doing those but that's another you mean story. it's not Apple no 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 <laughs> oh. uh, no 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 corporate corporate work um, is very lucrative the problem is with corporate dinners such as this they have a tendency to be cancelled at the last minute oh, yeah. and the problem is when you put all your eggs into one basket I had this back in the UK years ago when I used to do a lot of things for British Airways um, they would cancel the shows at the last minute and it's all that's fine that's fine except for the fact that 
when your bulk of your work is coming from this kind of place and they go and cancel 10, 15 shows in a month, you suddenly realize that your entire month is dead mm. and they cancel them up to 24 hours before the show. Without pay. You have nothing yeah. to line up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Before, without pay, I guess yeah. the one place where shows are not canceled uh, would be on cruises. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> no, 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 no. Captive um, audience. It only, it really only happens with the corporate close-up sector like this. Because what happens is you might have, let's say, Huawei had a, a dinner. I can't blame Huawei in any way whatsoever. So if anybody is watching from Huawei, I'm available. I but, like uh, how you say the Huawei, like, Huawei. Like, like, like you speak Hebrew or something. Thank you so much. Huawei. Well, Huawei. how am I supposed to say it? Yeah. <laughs> my, my wife can't say it. Really? Yeah. She can't. No, it's no. too, she said, it just sounds Gross. She really? can, away. Psychologically, yeah. she can say. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> well, that's but, uh, a All right. What, what We've else? deviated. Let's <laughs> yes. go back on tap. <laughs> yes. What, what, what else do you do in terms of show business in China now? I okay. Mean, I know you do. COVID-19 uh, yeah. and show business. Right. Business. Well, I shut Gino's world down. And actually speaking in the, uh, what, what was it? Yeah. The last, uh, the new year of 2019, just going into 2020, I actually was shutting Gino's world down. Because we ran it for eight years, we evolved it, we switched it, we changed it. But during 2019, I'd been missing working in English. I know that sounds really weird, yes. but uh, I took my one-man show, which is called Messing with the Mind, I took that out of China, and we did 11 countries throughout 2019. So my plan for 2020 was to do more outside China, um, and I was going to do a small tour in China with Messing with the Mind in Chinese, of course. Then COVID hit and everything got changed. Um, answering your question of how many shows I've yes. done in the last few years, well, eight years of Gino's World, around 150 to 200 shows a year, then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other odd shows. Uh, Happy Valley theme parks ran two festivals every year. They have a comedy festival in the Chinese New Year. And they have in the Mid-Autumn Festival, they have the uh, Magic Festival. Well, I've done 18 of those festivals over the years, uh, both of those. So That's one festival, one sh more than one show? Uh, well, I do. Yeah, that's the last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. There's four shows a day ah, for, okay. for a okay, week. Okay. So, yeah, it's an awful lot. So thousands? Thousands. Absolutely thousands, thousands and thousands. Uh, in my career, oh, God, goodness, I have no idea. Hundreds right. of thousands. Um, so, yeah, I love it. But that's but, the thing about so this you business. you went to Sanya yeah and you were there for six months was mm -hmm. it what'd you come back okay so the contract was originally for six, uh, three months with a three weeks rehearsal so I got there so that's like four months then they extended it for mm -hmm. another month then they extended it for another month um, and like I say I'm not a spring chicken anymore um, it's very much living in hotels all the time it, and working on those kind of shows. It's a little bit of a young man's game. Um, there's more to life than just working now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I miss my wife very much and my dogs. Uh, as all of us, we're all dog people. Mm. And you guys know that, yeah. So I miss my dogs very much. Well, so, you have two dogs now. Yeah, two uh, dogs at the moment. Uh, right now, we've got Cooper and King. Cooper and King. Yep. And uh King has an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can well, talk about that. Actually, all our dogs have interesting True. stories. I remember Shahe. Um, Shahe was the first dog that we rescued. Right. Um, he was living stuck on a pole uh, for two years on a one and a half meter tether on a piece of 
grass, sand, about like this table, really. The tether was in the middle. He had a meter and a half diameter, so he could go to sleep there, eat there, poo-poo here, and play here. Well, after a while, a couple of months of seeing this, uh, he was a wonderful dog. So I bought him from the owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to... Uh, he was there as a security dog, apparently. Yeah. Um, so I bought him on the condition that I put security cameras and metal spike railings into this person's house, which <laughs> I did. And we had Shahei for, well, he died at 13 years. Wow. So we had him 11 years so and he was a had, wonderful dog. You had to go all out to rescue this dog and you personally yep. rescued it. It's not like you, get, you went to a shelter. No, no, and, no, and we found him. him. He right. was in the village where we lived. Then King came along. Uh, four years ago. We've had King now for four years. He's eight years now. Um, very, very, I know you want me to say I the story. I want the story. On, yeah. All right. So it's kind of emotional and I don't want it to make me look like, and I also don't want it to affect my Be visa. Be vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to affect your visa. <laughs> so one day I'm sitting in our old house and having my morning coffee and I hear my wife screaming outside with Shahe barking and she said, they're killing him, they're killing him. So uh, I grabbed, I, I saw this tree outside our house and there was a dog, a golden dog, a Chinese dog, flopping with a rope round its neck, literally flaying like a piece of meat hanging in a butcher's, uh, flopping around, and there was these so two guys. struggling for life. Yeah, there was two guys hanging him. So I grabbed a meat cleaver, I ran down, and I sliced the rope, the dog fell to the ground. Uh, the two men came at me, and I had a meat cleaver in my hand, and I went, I was spoken Chinese, of course, I went, really? <laughs> Are you serious? Anyway, Gender? They, yeah, they, they both backed off. Monica said, put it down, you know, because my wife was crazed. Like, yeah. So I put the knife down. One of the men, um, how do I say this in a, an eloquent way, um, his bottle went. Uh, yeah, his courage went and he backed away. The other guy came. We got into a scuffle. Um, again, like you, you're ex-paratrooper, you crab my guy, you know. Out. Yeah, I was ex-marine, so even though I'm older yeah. now, so I, I, yeah, had a little bit of a tussle with this guy. Um, once he calmed down, I said, right. And we found out that the owner had sold the dog to another guy for meat. Um, and I said, okay, I will buy the dog from you. Here's your meat money back, and here's money for you. And then I took King. So, do, do they? That's how they just kill the dog before they use it this, for meat. This man, no, this wasn't a normal situation. I mean, we all know that this, this, you know, meat situation, which is much better now than it's ever been before. Yeah. Um, but it still goes on in certain parts of China. This was a horrible human being, who had had this dog for the first four years of his life. Decided that he barked um, outside his house, and he just didn't want him anymore. So rather than trying to find a new home for him in any way, he just sold him to a mate of his and they were going to skin him and eat him. And so so that's the, how they thought they should kill him yeah, <laughs> yeah. this way. So as much as I, I love China and, and I do, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I live here for a long time and I think yeah, we, we, all all do. Do. we all do. They have a problem with, with dogs. OK, I have a question. <sighs> what do you think? Should, I mean, hear me out for a second. Yeah. Do you think the government should forbid this? Because if they forbid it, it becomes like drugs. Uh, you forbid drugs, and then the illegal market appears. Uh, what could be done? My answer, education. What do you reckon? 
Uh, I, I have to follow you on that one. It's education. You see, we're talking about, it's a really tricky thing. I mean, I'm from England, right? We go back 500 years in England. Domestication of certain animals and certain ways in England 500 years ago is completely different to how it is today. So you, you have to, we hear the term Chinese way thrown around an awful lot for many, many things. And having lived in China for nearly two decades, like we all have, you have to uh, accept the fact that yes, there is things called Chinese way and the way they look at things is different than the way we look at things. Um, and some of things absolutely repulse us. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how does that change? I think, uh, in my opinion, yeah. you know, I think some things should be forbidden. <laughs> I mean, it's forbidden in many other countries, <coughs> right? Um, it's not exactly like drugs, I think. It's not like, oh, I can't eat dog, now I want to eat dog, you know? Um, maybe a little bit, I, you know, but... Uh, so you think legislation would go a long way? Yes, I'm sure legislation will go a long way. Uh, education, obviously, super important too, right? I, I haven't seen education for that with my eyes, but I guess because we live in a place where it's not really a big issue. What uh, I see point. is yeah. a lot of, a lot of um, reflection of some sort of education that's taking place. I mean, a lot of pet shops, a lot of pet hospitals. Think about 15, 20 years ago. How many pet hospitals were there? Dr. Ren and, and just that one other? Now you see one right, every, every corner. Yes. Yeah. So be, this new generation of Chinese people are learning and growing up actually looking after the dogs or, and taking care of their dogs. While the market for dog meat still exists, um, thing, I think that that mentality is changing. The thing is that uh, it's not just dog meat, even if they forbid, forbid it. It's, it's deeper issue that can only improve with time because of uh, how maybe young as a nation they actually have dogs as pets. The stuff, let's say even if they don't eat dogs, there's still gonna be things like, um, oh, the dog, after four years, the dog's barking too much. I don't want him anymore. Yeah. Let's just put him in the street. Now, having said that, of course, in every country you have some bad people. People like that, right? absolutely. I mean, absolutely, you have yes. uh, people in the US that, in uh, England has but there are laws, and these people can go to jail. They can't go to jail here. Well, some of them escape, but yeah. Yeah, but they no, can go to jail here. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have a lot of a lot of uh, the domestic animal laws in the UK nowadays, mm -hmm. and those laws are heavily, heavily enforced. Right. But you still have people that you know yes. a, a puppy's not for Christmas it's for life right. they have it and then they dump it in the woods and it happens all the time in our own cultures yes. I think one of the biggest things that I, I see in China and it's not just with domesticated animals it's the fact of Chinese culture is a certain way um, we look at it from our way um, and we there are certain things that are a big no-no all right let's just flip the script highly and talk about older Chinese males and females spitting on the floor. Now we as foreigners see this all the time and it totally grosses us out. A lot of younger Chinese also, it now grosses them out. Yep. However, I've managed to track down why they do it. Up till about 50 years ago, the doctors, the Chinese street doctors would tell their patients to spit as much as possible because bad stuff is coming out of their body. Mm -hmm. So they were educated to believe that all this horrible bacteria that's inside human bodies can be exfoliated by spitting and this hacking sound. So therefore, does that make it right? Does that make it wrong? You just make it the way it, it was for them. It makes it the way. And I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So 
but we, like cruelty, cruelty to any being yes is bad yes yeah now, we can all agree on that this is oh totally yeah. totally totally so but this is the whole point is where is the solution law education time I'm, i think very, all of it. very much i mean you guys know how much i love dogs but where does it come that we don't eat dogs i mean uh think about a rabbit what could be cuter than a rabbit right and we eat, we eat rabbits but you know even 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 let's say you eat yeah. dogs Even you eat an animal, there is also a way to kill it. Correct. I, I think <laughs> humanity, humane. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Now you take certain Western brands <laughs> that come under the spotlight often for their supposed right. cruelty of their mm-hmm. farms or getting Chickens the products. Or whatever, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So who are you talking about? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> come on, say the name. Not this spring chicken. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking that there's, there's culture behind mm. it. There's how we there grow is, up. Yeah. The kind there of is. emotions that we attach to certain animals. Yeah. I mean. A pig is very smart. A cow is very... Some cows even play football. I mean, but we're fine eating beef, right? A dog is very lovely. And, you know, it's it's for us. It's uh, hard to... Yeah, this is the whole thing. This is the lovely. whole thing, But you know it? what's interesting is like when, when let's say, uh, just as you came to China or even before, you couldn't see you didn't understand Chinese culture mm-hmm. yeah you probably would be like no this is wrong and they're assholes this yeah. is why now here's the thing if I was back in London now and I was having this conversation with a couple of yeah. typical guys that have never been to Asia before there's no way we could have this open debate on Nuanced. the table saying yeah. basically things that they would just be going oh, and how actually, can you you're sympathetic to this right they yeah. can't understand it no, okay. no I mean, you yeah. have to understand yeah. Chinese why yeah. and you, we, we're not here to change a country we're not here to change a culture i think the country is changing by itself absolutely but absolutely. i have to say there are yeah. i i don't i mean we're not here to change the country no but we're mm. here living and anywhere you live you may want to help, improve it help to move help to move to change and you are i think you are by just doing what you're doing sure i'm um, not like trying overly trying you know what i mean <sighs> there are many activists foreign activists uh, rescuing dogs mm. you know those stopping those trucks yes Actually, there are more Chinese activists even. Oh, absolutely. Foreigners, foreigners, for sure. Yes. Absolutely, um, and, absolutely. And that is great to see. Yeah. There um, are how, do you, how do you find your rescues, Doc? Because you got to rescue the, the one right. where you yeah. rescued him from, okay. from the rope. Well, right now, okay, so Shahei, who passed away a couple of years ago after a long, happy life, um, we already had King then from the rope. Yeah. Um, we, just before I went to Sanya, uh, we met a, uh, a, a Taiwan lady here who's big part of a Taiwan female dog group if you will and uh, they're quite wealthy they've got a big factory here um, and she rescues dogs from wherever she literally finds them and then looks out puts that dogs for adoption mm-hmm. um, so we met her and one of the dogs that she had is a little uh, two-year-old again we only go for the Chinese dogs because um, What is it? You know, people say Chinese dogs. Yeah. What do you mean? Okay, so basically what I mean on that is, you know exactly what I mean. You're just asking yeah, me to no, say it. For the audience. <laughs> audience. Right. What is so, a Chinese dog? A Sharpei no, it's, or a Chihuahua. Uh, yeah, here, here, as you well know, so you have the full full-breaded Western breeds like that everybody knows. Gold, or, boxers, yeah. Goldens, yeah, yeah. Retrievers, Labradors, Rottweilers. So, but then you have the, in the West, back in England, we call them mutts. We call them, yes. you know, like yes. mixed, mixed mutts. They're yeah. just, you know, mongrels. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a style of Chinese street dog and they're obviously 
just breeding on the streets. Uh, if you trace their origins back, a lot of them do come from things like Jap certain Japanese breeds. They're, they're wolf breeds. They've mostly pointed ears, um, spitzer breeds. Um, and they seem to be well inbred there. Well, those are the dogs that in my and my wife's mind have a far more of a raw deal than any of the bred dogs. Yeah. Because bred sure. dogs, people, and, and you guys are both, uh, we, we know, you guys are real dog lovers like we are. A lot of rich Chinese now are having Western breeds just as a status symbol. Mm -hmm. They're not really dog people, but at least the dogs are having a home. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's better than not. The street dogs are the Chinese just... They're not the, choice, the they, first choice. They dismiss them like they're just nothing. Um, when we first when we first saved King, um, we had Shahei at the time. Now, Shahei was completely neurotic. He wouldn't interact with people. He wouldn't interact with other dogs. Uh, every time we had people to the house, um, he was totally untrainable. I mean, he literally was... He was a cuckoo. I mean, you both met Shahei. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome dog, beautiful dog, but totally mental um so there was no way we were going to be able to have a second one while he was alive and and the interesting is also not yeah. everybody can handle adopting this kind of dog no right? it, it, it's true now so we weren't planning on keeping king because of shahay luckily i had the factory where i had a lot of space i was building all the illusions downstairs but we took king over to a rescue center uh, in Champing, I think it was. It was a Chinese-owned rescue centre. They took one look at King and they so, wouldn't take him right. because he's a Chinese-branded street dog. <gasps> so we but you know better they didn't take him than taking him and... and Absolutely, yeah. So because my dog now, uh, yeah. uh, just a small story, my dog now, mm. Weiwei, he's a Rottweiler yeah. with three legs, mm. right? And his story is that uh, a, a lady in Shenzhen rescued him from the uh, trash uh, site. Yeah. And he couldn't move. He was paralyzed. A small uh, Rottweiler mm. back then. And then uh, they took him to the vet. So some another lady, like the Taiwanese lady, mm -hmm. right? Someone that cares and does that. And they took him to the vet and they raised some money. And, and he had a tumor on his, you know, his uh, spine. spine. Yeah. And uh, they did a surgery. They opened away. I don't know the technical yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he was okay. They recovered him. Um, and then after he was recovered, he could move, not paralyzed anymore. She couldn't keep him. So trying to find someone to adopt a Rottweiler in China. And uh, meanwhile, she put him in a shelter. Yeah. Now, there are many shelters, right? And, and I'm not saying some of them, I mean, some of them are better than others, of course. But, you know, the ones that are not so good, I don't know if it's because they're bad. I'm not saying they're bad, but yeah. maybe they have too much to handle or whatever. He's locked in a cage, a Rottweiler. Now he's, uh, he's, he's licking a wound in his uh, leg, yeah. on his leg. And not being cared well enough, it got worse, worse, worse. By the time she, she went back to visit him, it's really bad. Yeah. She takes him back, back to the vet. The vet is like trying to save his leg now. Yeah. They couldn't save his leg. Meanwhile, on WeChat, she's looking for doctors. My wife sees it. Somehow my wife uh, falls in love yeah. with his dog, like, you know, like feeling, well, absolutely. feeling, I mean, feeling for him. And uh, she decided to take him. Now, <laughs> I had a lot of issues with that. You know, as much as I love dogs, yeah. someone just said the other day, you know, loving dogs, there is a spectrum. Of course there is. There is a spectrum, right? My yeah. wife is like, she she would do more for dogs yes. than, than for people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, tough dog to have. Now, he's in our home, difficult dog. He has other issues too, not just the leg. Uh -uh. And um, 
and for me, even though it's hard and a struggle because it's like adopting a, a you know, a, even a, a child with a yeah, problem, yeah, whatever, yeah. Um, this kind of dog, if if it's not at our place, is most likely he will be euthanized. Mm-hmm. Yes. I want to bring to the table the topic of legislation against big dogs. This is something that you you, you wanted um, to, to talk about. That is about. a big issue, yeah. yeah. Rottweiler um, what's is on the taking place. <laughs> it's funny. So Dongguan, for Dong, I think many cities have this. Dongguan yeah. recently, um, oh. Dongguan recently published um, a list publicly of dogs that uh, are going to be on a forbidden list. No, 36. 36, 36 breeds. 36 wow, breeds. Yeah. And um, and uh, they asked for public oh. public opinion. Mm-hmm. Before yeah. they actually set the law, and uh, wow, I was surprised. Thirty-six breeds, right? And any dog over a certain height, yeah, and, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. Um, and the funny thing is that I told my wife, you know, even if it's three dogs on this list, Rottweiler will be there. Will be there. You <laughs> more know? than Come lightly, on. yeah, yes. more than lightly. And yeah. even in the Rottweiler is banned in uh, other countries, some other countries yeah. too, you know. So. We have this issue. We are thinking maybe if we have uh, a special request because he's handicapped. You know, three legs. I mean, uh, how much can he can't run after you? And uh, you know, uh, it's this is it's the tough. whole thing. It's, it's tough, a huge yes. tough thing. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, this is a whole a whole separate conversation about yes, should yes. should dogs like this be regulated? I mean, in my own country of England, you know, certain dogs must be muzzled when you're taking them out there. We do muzzling. Yeah, and so there. The question is, is it the dog that's ferocious? I yes. mean, pit bulls have got such a bad rap, but. Is it the dog breed or is it the owner? It's I more mean, the owner. Of, it's more the owner. Often the owner. I think a lot of the yeah. issues that actually take place with dogs in China have to be from, or oh, basically stem from not having a tradition of of racing dogs. So they don't know how to educate them, how to train them, how to give them discipline, how to give them, you know what I mean? So the dogs become an issue because they're not getting the proper training, the proper... It's like with um, yeah. children. Everybody can be parents, yeah. but not everybody can, can be, be good, good parents. parents. Absolutely. You know? I mean, the issues of training dogs and putting dogs on leads and walking dogs correctly and giving dogs enough exercise daily isn't totally Chinese thing in any way. Right. No, 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 that's right. England, America, Colombia, Israel. I think yeah. that's every single country in the world that has domesticated dogs. There are people that just don't look after them correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think right. this is the whole thing. I mean, in America, American pit bulls, hugely popular dog but got such a bad reputation Mm. because of the dog fighting world i have to confess that i've turned into a cat lover you (laughs) (laughs) yeah i got two cats no 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 no, 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 no. the wife got a cat Uh, a few years ago and uh, i was not a cat person so i'm like i i I don't know how to deal with a cat so we didn't bond right he's not (laughs) he's not mean or anything it's just that i she calls him (laughs) he's like a dog chinese people like cats yeah um, and I don't think they of. eat them, uh, but I don't know. They do, they do. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> after after whatever, four years that he's been with us, I said like, okay, I want to have a go at having a cat from the get-go so mm-hmm. I can bond with him. So about a month, uh, three weeks ago, we got a Maine Coon. And this is supposed to be one of the largest cat breeds in the world. It goes like ah, 20 something kilos. I saw the picture of their brother or something. Yeah. yeah. Really? Is Amazing. It ma- man, what's it called? A man? Maine Coon. See, from so Maine we, we have US. two cats and we also rescue them. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, uh, one, one, one cat uh, was on our doorstep with a note. <laughs> because they see us, they see my wife feeding all the so neighborhood cats. Good handwriting? Um, <laughs> n- nice letter uh, from a Chinese person that went back to college and they rescued the cats, and but their parents wouldn't keep the cats. So please, 
please, I see you guys feeding cats. Oh, so the cat didn't write the letter because no, I was thinking, didn't. how? No, no thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, okay, so it's got it's like, an iPad. Like, <laughs> all right, yeah, guys. All right. Um, I'm sorry. I think, all right. I think um, this is a good way to, to end our show, talking about positive things <laughs> about dogs, dogs very and much cats. So. Yes. Uh, a little deviation from magic. Right. Yeah. Very <laughs> but uh, look, man, we... Really, really appreciate you taking the time to do the show with us. We've oh, been wanting to have you for so long. It's yes. it's a real pleasure to My be here pleasure. with you. My pleasure, absolutely. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much can, for having we, me. We could talk for hours. We know you um, and a lot of stories that you have that you, we couldn't talk about today, I think. But oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for... Uh, no, 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 no. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been it's been fun and it's been great having chit-chats with you guys as well. Awesome. And now we All know right, where guys. you live. Indeed, yeah. yeah. The new place. Hard to get yeah. to, though, eh? Yeah. Now you need to show me the way out. Yes. That's easy. Yes. Yeah. Well, All right, look guys. at his cat with the GPS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he can ride, so of course. <laughs> All right, guys. So thank you very much for watching. And you know what to do. If you like this video, give it a thumbs up. And if you like the content of my channel, then consider subscribing. And uh, don't forget to listen to this podcast on Spotify. Yeah. Give us uh, reviews. Give us comments. Um, help us grow. And until we see you again, this has been, of course, China. China.